my name, my English name is uh, Jonah Yellowman. Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. And uh, we're here in Minot Valley at my home residence. In the evening, you know, when the, the colors are changing, when the sunset, it's, it's really nice looking out there, looking at the, the sunset. It's really beautiful. Nobody listens to the Indians. Doesn't matter what they say. Their world doesn't exist anymore. Or that's the way natives are treated when it comes to deciding how to manage federal land, public land, in the western United States, the land they used to live on for hundreds, thousands of years. Before my people were removed from Bears Ears, my people used to live through there. And my grandmother was, is from there, you know. She's born from there. The battle over public land is between two sides, the environmentalists and the commercial developers, and the natives are used as pawns by both sides. Us, you know, as a Native American Navajos, we use that land to make a hogan, to use uh, firewood, to use herbs, to gather medicines, to gather food, to go hunt. We have the four sacred mountains here. We have the four directions here. We have our protection right here. Bears ears is sitting right there. This is our, our land. To include indigenous people as a third party in the discussion would require that we face our original sin, that we stole the land from them to begin with, and the only justification we have for this is that God wanted us to do it. It was our manifest destiny which is a lie, a myth at best. We were just chased off the land, you know. For what reason? They don't want us to be at the table with them. They want to be the one that's always be the leader. The Bears Ears National Monument, or rather the plan that eventually became the Bears Ears National Monument, was all about doing things another way. The idea from the beginning was for the native tribes to have some say some input as to how their ancestral land is managed. You'd think this idea would have come from a sense of guilt, but actually it came from science. Environmental scientists and conservation biologists who realized or admitted Native Americans sometimes know more about the land than they do. Dennis Sizemore was one of the first to start seeing this back in the early 80s when he was doing graduate work on grizzly bears in Montana. We knew that a lot of grizzlies were getting killed on the res. And we wanted to figure out by who and where and what and what could be done about it. And it took a long time to gain their permission and trust and to work with them. And that was my first seeing that it works. That by one just recognizing that they have they have their own innate feelings, they have their own ties to the land that I don't think we can really understand. That we have not been in a place that long anymore to have those kind of roots and affections. And that a lot can be learned from that beyond just trying to conserve an area, but how to, how to live in place and respect it. Now Sizemore is the head of a nonprofit organization, Round River Conservation Studies, dedicated to protecting wild areas around the world. 
They specialize in negotiating agreements between indigenous people and state governments. We did not start off with the idea of working with First Peoples as much as we have and still do. However, if you start looking at maps, looking for big empty spots where there's lots of, lots of open spaces and a lot of different big wildlife populations, well, you usually also find, find there are indigenous people. And just like the wildlife, the indigenous people have largely been marginalized in those areas as well. And if we can assist them in gaining some things they want, which is usually about being, one, recognized that they exist, and two, that they, uh, they want some say in their traditional lands. So if we can help them do that, then they, in turn, help us protect an area. For example, in the late 90s, Sizemore and Round River started working with the Tlingit tribe in British Columbia, developing a resource management plan for their ancestral land along the Taku River. The first thing they had to do was create maps of the resources, the animals, plants, and minerals. No one had done a comprehensive scientific survey, and the area was huge. We didn't have the time or the resources to figure out where all the places the moose are across the whole 10 million acres of the Taku River Klingit territory. However, we could sit down with a number of Klingit hunters and ask us to describe what those areas look like, where they find moose at different times of the year. And we could then go back and map that whole territory where we thought you would find moose based on what they told us. And we did that with moose and caribou and mountain goats and grizzly bears. They were down to where... You know, in the springtime, they would identify a, a specific slope, aspect, elevation, and what kind of plants you would expect to see there uh, for a, just a whole suite of animals. And they could tell you by the following month where they would have gone. And they were very, very accurate. Very accurate. The project was a success. Round River used this traditional ecological knowledge of the Tlingit people to create maps of the resources they wanted to protect, and then they superimposed these maps with maps from the Canadian government of the land it wanted to protect, and the maps matched, pretty much. The two parties reached an agreement for the co-management of the land. The reason I'm going into this now is because the management plan for the Bears Ears developed out of the same methodology. It started in 2010 when Sizemore realized the state of Utah was preparing a management plan for the Cedar Mesa, Bears Ears area, but nobody was talking to the native tribes in the area, as usual. So Sizemore approached the Navajo tribal government and asked them if they wanted to make their own management plan. And when we first met with the Natural Resource Department in Navajo, they said no. They said, we don't have enough money to manage our own lands. Why we would we want to add another couple million acres? No, I'm overworked now. <laughs> Why would I want to do more? Sizemore, however, did convince the tribe to allow Round River to conduct a survey among the Navajo people in order to develop a set of maps based on their traditional ecological knowledge of the Bears Ears area. So when we started working, we again, we interviewed a lot of people and produced maps based on where they collected firewood, where they collected medicinal herbs, you know, where they had ceremonies. The first one, th these ceremonies all originated from there. All the ceremonies that we have originated from there. 
There's different kinds of wood used for different ceremonies. My relatives that lives here, they, they gather basket weaving material from those areas. Wood has to be collected from specific places for specific ceremonies as well. You know, like they build their sweat lodges out of oak. To do our prayers, our offerings. You know, everything you can imagine, and also where they hunted. The animal people, bear's ears, and the LaSalle Mountain, the, the mountain that, that represents the north side, you know, has a name like a big horned sheep, the animal people. With this information from about 50 Navajo informants, including Jonah Yellowman, Round River produced a set of maps showing wildlife distribution, vegetation sites, ceremonial sites, and when these maps were superimposed over maps produced by the Bureau of Land Management, the federal agency that did and still does manage the Bears Ears area, the maps matched up. It turned out that both the tribal government and the federal government wanted to protect the same areas. And these areas eventually became the outline, the boundary of the new Bears Ears National Monument. I was really excited how things were going because I felt that if this could, this could be done in the Southwest, then why not work with the uh, Arapaho and Shoshone and the Wind Rivers? Why not work with the Flathead and the Missions and the Blackfeet and the, you know, on and on and on? You know, basically getting that voice into the conservation movement in the U.S. The whole process took six years, and a lot went on along the way, like the formation of the Five Tribe Coalition, but it all started with the maps of traditional ecological knowledge or the idea that maybe indigenous people should have a say in the process. In the end, as we all know, the Trump administration wiped out the whole deal. I thought it was a beautiful ecological plan as well, just as the, the mountains and everything else. Yeah, and it, was, and it also, when you look at the, what was the Bears Ears proposal and the Grand Staircase, a huge swath of land, almost, what, four and a half million acres? That's a good, that's a good sized place for the states with some very, very different country in it. The spiritual place on that Bears Ears area and the surrounding area is still there. Believe me, it's still there. Maybe now the only upside of this whole Trump canceling everything is that there's a, there's a good native voice out there now for that area. I might not be a good person, I might not be a, per a perfect person, but what I experience is what I know. And when I go outside, you know, when I go out there in the mountains, like the bear's ears, I go out there and I touch the, the ground. I talk to the ground. I talk to the rocks over there. Maybe there's a stream, I pick that water up and I talk to that water. I talk to the plants. Maybe there's an animal tree. I have respect for the animals, and I, I listen. We gotta take care of this. This was given to us. We're, it was given to us to take care of it, not to destroy it, not to dig it up, to leave it the way it is. Was given to us. This is where it is, right here. That's all for this episode. In the next, I'm going to talk about what may be the biggest threat to the Bears Ears area, industrial tourism. 
Nothing kills the feeling of wildness like being around a bunch of tourists and the number of people visiting southern Utah has exploded. It's a real problem. There's a link to Round River Conservation Studies on our website, homebrave.com. Besides trying to protect wilderness areas, Round River functions as a field school for undergraduates. They have programs all over the world where young people spend six to eight weeks in the wilderness. If you're an undergraduate and you need field study credits, I'd highly recommend checking out Round River Conservation Studies. Thanks very much for listening and donating to the cause. Home of the Brave is supported entirely by listener donations. I wouldn't be able to produce these stories without you. So there are buttons on our website, homebrave.com, to donate or subscribe or buy a t-shirt. Anything you can do would be much appreciated.